Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Grad School Podcast. My name is Bukola Oinloe. I'm a PhD student in international education and development. My research is around parents and teachers' relationships in rural sub-Saharan Africa. Today we're in conversation with Melissa Green, also known as Mel Green. Mel Green is a doctoral researcher at the Open University, where she explores the relationship between race, gender, and life events on the one hand, and virtual professional identity and pedagogical choices on the other. She's a former primary school teacher and current Open University associate lecturer, teaching two modules of the primary education studies degree. She has two children under the age of five, one of whom is autistic. Mel is also a trustee at a community and children's center that works with disabled children and their families. She lives with her husband, children, and cat in Northeast London. Welcome to the podcast, Mel. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so looking forward to this conversation. You're such a fascinating individual, and it's really great to have your perspectives on the issues we'll be discussing today. So we're basically really keen on finding out your experiences as a student during the pandemic, and you're researching virtual professional identity and pedagogical choices in relation to online teaching. This sounds like it may have been influenced by your day job. Can you tell us a bit more about what inspired your doctoral topic? So as you mentioned, I'm a former primary school teacher. And when I joined the Open University in 2017, I had never taught online. I'd used technological tools, but I'd never delivered a session online. So my first year at the Open University, all my tutorials were face-to-face and I could bring in how I normally teach. A lot of my teaching is based on my personality and my kind of mannerisms. So I really rely on on those to create a kind of rapport with my students. So the first year was face-to-face and I could rely on, on, on that way of being. And they told me at the end of my first year that I would be, uh, in my second year, I would be teaching exclusively online. So all my tutorials would be online. And it led me to think about how I could still be the teacher that I had grown to be in the 13 years experience that I had previously. And I worried about it. I worried about whether I was actually going to be able to still be that fun person and engage students in ways that, yeah, we kind of developed strong relationships, strong bonds if I was just online. So I started doing my own research. A lot of that sort of took me into the research area of critical pedagogy, which is really about kind of eradicating the power dynamics of lecturer to student and developing the kind of student-centred journey that I really resonated with. So this led me, this was in my second year, I I really thought about the ways I was teaching, the ways I was developing relationships. And by the end of my second year, I realised I wanted to do more formal research to understand how I could be the teacher I wanted to be, but 
exclusively online and that led me to write my research proposal which was obviously accepted and and yeah it's just developed from there from my own work as an associate lecturer and my own interests and desire to create a professional identity that I'm proud of online because it's not as easy I feel like it's second nature when you're face to face with your students, but virtually you really have to think about what you're doing. Thank you so much. That's a really helpful background to to your topic and to the journey to your topic, really. And it's interesting that uh, you had to make the move to online teaching prior to the pandemic, yeah. which sort of forced everybody to make yeah. the move. And we'll probably pick up on that a little bit later in the in the conversation. So you're an EDD student, which is a different pathway to, to the conventional PhD, if you will. Can you tell us a bit more about the differences, why you chose the EDD route, for example, and not the PhD route? Yeah. This is something that I also have a personal curiosity about, as I had to make a similar choice because I was working prior to coming to, to do my PhD. And I chose the PhD route mainly because of time and primarily because I didn't think I could manage a full-time job and the PhD and you're managing so many things. You're (laughs) managing a full-time job, a PhD, a family. So, so how did you make that decision? I chose the EDD route because of the fact that I wanted to research my own practice and the EDD route, I think, lends itself more to kind of changing or influencing practice so obviously there's a a theoretical there's you know the looking at the theory behind what you're doing but there is I think a primary focus of influencing you know how you teach or um, how others teach and, and making some direct impact on the field of work that you're already in so yeah for me because I knew that this piece of research was going to be action research and Eddie made much more sense for me also I didn't want to leave my job I was already an associate lecturer and and this is what has encouraged me to do the research in the first place so one of the things that I'm doing as part of my research is keeping a practitioner journal and for that I need to be doing the work so I need to be in the job reflecting on my practice daily and that reflection active reflection where I am writing about what I'm doing and 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 considering theory behind it is enabling me to change my practice as I go along so rather than sort of do the research and then apply it it's a a case of I'm, I'm consistently applying what I'm learning to how I'm teaching your response actually resonates with other students as well and I think will be very helpful for other students who are if you will, at a crossroads, who are thinking about, should I pursue the EDD route? Should I pursue the PhD route? Mm-hmm. I think it's really great to have your insight into why you chose the route that you chose. And I think other students who are in your position would find it really helpful. And, and, and I think it might help them make the decision that they need to make. And I love what you said about being able to influence your current practice with your research, yes. which is very action research. But it also has interesting implications for your findings. I mean, because you don't analyze your findings at the end and then mm. write them up as, as we sort of do in the conventional sense. Although even with the conventional PhD, you are analyzing as you go along anyways. Mm. But yours sounds much more embedded in terms of this opportunity to embed your findings and your analysis into your practice. 
Just a, a quick question about the structure of the EDD. So for some of us who are not really familiar with what the EDD is like, can you just give us a, a sense of the structure and what you're expected to do in year two, year three? Yeah, um, I mean, again, there's a difference probably that I should have mentioned earlier. The first two years of the EDD are taught. So it's kind of split into modules. And the end of each module, you submit an assignment that is related to your learning from that module. And again, this is another reason that I chose an EDD rather than a PhD. I feel in a way that your first two years you kind of you you have your hands held and you are really supported and mentored through your research I have a wonderful supervisor who I will name because hopefully he'll listen his name is Alex Twitchin and he's really helped to guide my thinking my confidence just in general just really help to develop the doctoral research within me and I know that obviously PhD students have supervisors as well but I do think just the taught element has made it less scary and has kind of eased me into this role of of researcher I don't know if most PhD students as well as ED students um, have this element of um, imposter syndrome that I sort of started with that is slowly being eradicated through you know this this tall element of, of the EDD. So yeah, my next year will also be tall as I said, that's my second year. And then after that, it is more in line with the PhD route where I will be going off and be responsible for my research myself and there will be no assignments, but I will obviously have to check in with my supervisor, show the work I've done over certain periods. But that's more like a traditional sort of PhD. So then how has the pandemic affected your, your timeline and your studies? I mean, what, what, what fears did you have at the beginning of the pandemic in relation to your studies? Well, it's actually really... <laughs> Funny, I suppose, for want of a better word, when I wrote my research proposal, as I said, you know, I was focusing on that sort of shift to exclusively online teaching. And this was at a time where the decision was being made, not because we were in a global pandemic, but because, you know, I think for various things for the Open University, I think there was finances, the fact that students, more students can access online. But it wasn't a, it was less of a sort of need and more of a kind of want. But after I submitted my research proposal, then this global pandemic started to happen. And during my interview uh, to get on the ED, that's what I focused on. When it comes to sort of how the global pandemic has affected my ED, it's actually made it more timely it's made my um, research more necessary in a way that I hadn't intended it to be so I know nothing other than doing an EDD during a pandemic because obviously I started in October 2020 when this was happening so unfortunately I haven't been able to meet my my fellow students we had a residential weekend that had to be done virtually so I, I suppose there's a shame in that I haven't been able to network in the way that I think we would have been able to if we were face to face but at the same time it's given me so much data so <laughs> So much sort of 
lived experience that I think is relevant to to my research area. Because I'm I'm researching online learning, I've been given a lot of online learning to look at. Such perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. The timing couldn't be better for your research and, and, and yeah. the importance of it and and the way that your findings will be able to influence obviously not just your practice. Yeah. But the practice of, of other other practitioners. I mean, you mentioned that you have so much data and, and because of the lived and the real current experiences of, of the sort of the virtual pedagogical shift. Mm. Are you who are your participants? Can you give us a sense of who your, your participants are or a sense of your methodology? At the minute, my main source of research, I suppose you could say it's sort of is action research. So I am my own case study. I've been keeping a practitioner journal since I began. However, I've been disseminating my own research through uh, various workshops and seminars and collating the comments that other associate lecturers um, make with regards to this uh, shift to online pedagogical choices that we're having to make. The data that I'm talking about is mainly coming from me and my experiences, but also other associate lecturers. The aim I um, have when it comes to my, my participants is to to mainly interview other associate lecturers in varying stages of their career. So, you know, your newbies all the way to the people that have been in uh, this role since, I think there's some people I know that have been in the role for like 20, 25 years, um, just to get that experience. Because obviously for people new to this role, that shift to online is... is is minimal I suppose but for the people that have been associate lecturers for decades it's quite a significant change in in how they are teaching and I want to sort of yeah to observe and to analyze both those experiences. For me as I said coming from face-to-face teaching it has been a significant change, but it also has been quite welcome. It's been quite um, exciting for my career, but I know for some ALs, it has been quite, I suppose, disembodying, um, quite conflictual and uh, and quite sort of, I suppose, I don't want to say negative, but um, a challenging experience for for their own identities. Hmm. That's really helpful. I think, you know, your perspectives and, and the data that you will generate based on your perspectives and based on your experiences, but also based on those of your colleagues will be fascinating. And I yeah. like this idea of exploring people at different career stages and, and their responses to this this shift and perhaps how it also affects their own pedagogical choices and, and yeah. their and their and their identities. I think that would be quite fascinating to, to learn more about. And then, I mean something I didn't actually answer was um for that reason, because it is so exploratory, because it is sort of looking at the kind of phenomenon um of 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 shifting online. The focus will be on, on qualitative uh, data rather than, um, I mean, I, I don't know how you could quantify these experiences, these lived experiences. So, yeah, that it was definitely focused on the sort of phenomenological 
experiences and it really is going to need to explore what people bring to this data rather than me looking for a specific thing so I mean that became quite difficult for for creating my own research questions because I don't want to limit what I can find out for me when I first uh, wrote my research proposal I was only focusing on just my reported identity. So just, you know, the fact that I am a primary school teacher becoming a higher education professional. And it's very quickly involving my race, my gender, and how those will affect my my pedagogical choices when it comes to being online. Because as a Black woman, I really have focused on being present as a black woman and that's very difficult to do when you are disembodied by being online so I I, I've noticed that that has affected the choices I make when it comes to my tutorials I will make sure my webcam is on I use pictures of myself in my slides and those are really conscious choices to show my students, yes, I am here and I am presenting as a black woman in ways that I wouldn't have even considered or needed to do if I was face to face. You know, you walk in the room, people can see straight away that you are a black woman. Whereas when you're online, you need to show people, you need to actively choose to show people that you are a black woman. So that has really heavily influenced my my online professional identity in ways that perhaps for uh, for other other associate lecturers may not have had to think about. So, you know, that's really important and relevant to my research as well. That's really interesting. And I'm just wondering, and I mean, this might be obvious to some people and, and you know, perhaps to you as well, but it might be helpful to just get you to actually elicit your thoughts on it. But where do you think that desire or interest to be present as a, as a Black woman originates from? I think being Black is, is such a an important part of who I am. And, you know, I'm a Black woman with, with, with locks, with undeniably Black features. And, and as I said, as face-to-face, I know that people see that straight away and it isn't something that I have to draw their attention to. At the same juncture I do still talk about the lived experiences of black people and um, that will you know I'm I'm definitely um, I would say quite political and quite active in, 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 in those areas but that is easier to do face to face. But online, I think that's why in my second year, I felt kind of lost. I felt that I wasn't really demonstrating who I was. This is before I was using things like webcam and before um, I was being as conscious about my pedagogical choices. But then in my third year, I really felt that to show me meant to show all the parts of me. And and that meant that my students needed to see those features that they would have seen if I was face to face. And I needed to make those very obvious because I suppose one of the things I, there's an article I've read and I really, is it Yayo and Boss? I can't remember what the research paper is called, but they highlighted how this 
my need to show my students who I was uh, visually is not kind of unique to me that black um, women of colour were doing that in uh, in their online teaching in their research uh, sample they were the ones that were choosing to yeah, as I said uh, turn their cameras on to share elements of their life with their students and they were more likely to opt for student-centred pedagogy so it isn't a phenomenon that is unique to myself. It's something that black women are, are, are trying to do. And I do think that is, I suppose, empowering in a way that virtual teaching can sort of take away from us as practitioners. You know, that sense of power can be kind of removed by being behind a screen. And it's, I suppose, regaining that power or that sense of self that embodiment by showing your students who you are it sounds almost subconscious and I think as you were speaking it was sounding to me like a response to historical and current erasure of the black body the black voice the black presence the black woman so it was sounding very very subconscious but deliberate at the same time in in the sense of really positioning the black self as this is who I am and I want to show you who I am. I no longer want to hide behind the, behind the screen or, you know, behind the computer or behind whatever in a way that obviously, as you said, when you're face to face, that presence is already there. And then perhaps there are other things that you do to really, I think, bring out that presence even more. But there has to be a bit more effort to do that when you're behind the scenes. We've been talking about your research. Um, you've given us lots of wonderful insights and perspectives about your research. But one of the reasons why I was so interested in speaking with you is because <laughs> you just, you're just wearing so many hats <laughs> and obviously it sounds like you're wearing them very well. So how do you manage being a mom, you're a lecturer, you're a student? It's overwhelming the combination of hats that you wear how did you how do you keep this identity straight if you will I mean that's presuming you want to keep them straight uh, how do you how do you sort of manage the, the potential blurred lines that occur between all these different identities and then how do you do that during a pandemic when I can imagine the lines become even more blurry I, I don't think I um I keep them completely well defined and I won't lie um you know at, at points I am especially this past year I have been quite overwhelmed I think with the the research the doctoral research and my associate lecturer role because they are quite blurred anyway as I said it's action research so me doing my job is is something that I'm actually researching I think they are blurred and I kind of want them to be I want to be actively thinking hey this is relevant to you know this is something I should write down or you know I reflect on my days my interactions with my students my interactions with my colleagues and and then I go and 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 link that to my reading I write questions from it for that I want to bring to my supervision I actively 
trying to find links with other research papers that might be relevant to something that's happened at work and and I think they need to be blurred for me to be a a, a, a good researcher. What's really difficult is is prioritising the workload. So obviously when I've got high levels of marking commitments, it's very easy just to you know fall out of the, the routine I have with my own reading and my own note-taking, my own organisation when it comes to my, my studies. That was something that was quite hard maintaining last year. When it comes to being a mum, <laughs> I like the fact that as an associate lecturer, I get to work from home. So, and my work is so flexible. So I'm always here when my children come home from preschool, from nursery. I am able to have days where, you know, I'm not working. Officially, I kind of work three days a week that will be going up to four in the new year. So there are days where, you know, I am just mum but at the same time my children are my priority so I am able as an associate lecturer to schedule in a meeting and then maybe take my children to the park in ways that I wouldn't be able to do if I worked outside of the home I think. That said with the pandemic there was a, a lot of times this year where my children's childcare settings were just closed because someone in their bubble was found to have a positive COVID test so the children whereas we had a very good routine myself and my husband both worked from home and there were days where he would be looking after children there'd be days when they were supposed to be at nursery and that obviously was completely thrown for a loop when they were just off so we had to you know come together work out timetables myself and my husband and just make it work and I think we really did that wasn't to say that you know we weren't stressed at points but you know you may do I was very conscious with my students of telling my students you know my children are off school so I'm not going to be as available I'm not going to respond as as quickly as I normally do and I think by being really honest with my students, they were really honest with me. They were going through the same things most of the time. You know, if um, most of them were parents and, you know, had to homeschool their children at the same time. So I think being honest with myself, being honest with my managers, being honest with my students enabled everyone to kind of just be compassionate and understanding. So, but that's not to say I didn't get overwhelmed at points as we all do, but I think planning talking with people about how you're going to fit things in you can make it work I think we all can and being honest with yourself about how many hats you're wearing and how possible it is to fit things in is very important as well I would also like to say self-care is important but I'm not very good at self-care I think having a very supportive husband who actually said to me you know why don't you just go and have a bath and just relax for a bit is something that I'm very lucky to have so I think that's how I wear all those hats that's really positive. And I think I was just smiling as you were dis- describing your situation. I mean, obviously, like you said, we all, we all, we've all had tough times and we've all struggled, but it, it sounds like you've been able to be supported through those, those struggles. You've had a partner at home. You've been able to make things work in relation to childcare. And then you've been able to be supported 
with your work as well by communicating and then having whatever it was that you communicated be received and, and be acted upon. So that's, yeah. that's really positive. And I think the OU is the kind of place where that happens. I've heard lots of positive stories around how the institution has been able to support staff, yeah. particularly in this past couple of years. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a mixture of luck, a mixture of being honest with yourself and with others. So we'll round up with our final question. In terms of what you've learned during the pandemic as, a, as an associate lecturer, as a student, what you've learned about yourself as a student, and I think the kinds of tips that you've shared with your students that you've also done yourself that you think might be helpful for other students. For me, staying on top of organisation is... It's so important. So if there were times where I didn't, I don't know, follow my routine of, of, okay, it's the end of the day, I just need to write up my research journal or my practitioner journal, then one day would quickly turn into two, then would quickly turn into three, and then you realise you're a week behind and then you sort of, you've, you've got to catch up on things. So, yeah, staying on top of tasks. And, and by that, I mean making them smaller. I make notes throughout the day, either audio, so recording voice notes on, on my phone or just like writing um, in a book that I sort of keep with myself literally all day. So that when it comes to me having to write up my journal, it's not a case of, OK, what happened today? I've got my notes to sort of go back on. I also, as much as I... I have a calendar of, of, of things that are coming up monthly. I do work week by week. I do review at the end of the week and I do plan at the beginning of the week. So I'm working sort of a week by week rather than this massive journey ahead of me. I'm able to kind of make it a, a smaller task, sort of break it down so it doesn't feel as big. And as I said earlier, I think being honest with yourself about what you can do, um, that's something I'm really having to learn. I have quite lost goals sometimes and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and just being honest about what you can do in the time that you have with the commitments that you have is so important and then being honest with others then you don't feel that you're letting people down because you are letting them know that you're going to be working at limited capacity yeah I suppose in summary plan well break down your tasks um into smaller chunks and be honest with yourself and with others and lastly I'd just leave it with compassion it's something that I've had to really learn this year when I haven't been able to achieve the things I've wanted to achieve rather than to beat myself up I have been compassionate with myself in the same way that I would be with others so um yeah, I think those are, that's the advice I'd probably give to other students. That is really helpful. So breaking tasks down into manageable bites, being honest about what you can do with the time and the resources you have, being honest with others about what you can do, and being kind to yourself. I think those are wonderful tips. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I definitely look forward to following up with you. And hopefully we can get you back when you've made some more progress with your work or perhaps when you've collected a bit more data and you're able to come back and reflect with us on what the data is telling you. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. As I said, I really enjoyed it. <laughs>